With all not your truth or kindness, Lord. With all not your truth or kindness, Lord. Welcome to The Notice, where together we notice the mercy of God. I'm Susan Hookstra, your host. The Notice podcast explores our need for validation and affirmation through biblical musings and unique stories from special guests. Experience relevant topics and encouragement as we take notice of how the God of mercy satisfies. So what is it about capturing a story on film that resonates with us? Have you ever wondered how Christian films are produced or how someone decides to be a filmmaker? Join me as I welcome award-winning filmmaker and owner of Flipbook Moving Pictures, Scott McGee. Scott and I talk about how God called him to make films, how he's noticed God through this powerful medium, and about Scott's latest film, 490. Stay tuned as we talk about noticing God through filmmaking. So Scott, welcome. It's so good to have you here in my little studio. Thanks Thank for, for being here. Me. You know, it was interesting, we just met not too long ago, we were went to see the movie Overcomer, and uh, our good friend Ann Miranda kind of connected us, and we started talking, and we just kept talking and talking, and, and I was really actually encouraged by that conversation, and encouraged to know that there's uh, creative people out there who are doing things um, for God. So I'm really glad you're here so we can talk about those kinds of things that you're doing. I want to give our listeners a little background because we're talking about filmmaking and movies and all that kind of thing. How did you get involved in this whole industry of filmmaking? <laughs> it depends how far back you want to go. Um, as a kid it was all about storytelling. So my grandfather used to sit me on his knee and tell me stories and all that. So I, I credit him with my desire to tell stories. But I didn't think that films were made by, like, real humans. I thought they were made by celebrities in Hollywood. And, like, I didn't realize that real people made movies. And so I just never considered it a career possibility. And we didn't have a TV growing up. Really? Um, Yeah, until I was 11. We didn't have a TV. And then when we did get one, it was, like, a hand-me-down. And it had, like, one channel on it. So anytime I was at a friend's house... I didn't want to play. I wanted to like stare at their television. (laughs) And so, so I blame my parents for, for my (laughs) career. But, um, but yeah, we, uh, so didn't have a TV. When I moved, when I was in, in middle school, we moved and I met a kid, um, who's still my best friend today. And he started showing me all these movies that I had never seen before. Um, like Indiana Jones and Mm. Star Wars. And he was like, I mean, I'm 13 at the time. He's like, you have not seen these movies? And I'm like, no. And so he had to introduce me to his whole childhood of all these movies. And so that really piqued my interest, and I started developing all these stories that I wanted to turn into movies. But again, I didn't think real people made movies. I just, it, I didn't even consider it as a career because that's not something people do. And so I, being creative and also technical and you know I was into my, my parents battle in my head I like to say but they, my dad's very black and white and my mom's very creative and so I picked architecture because it's very creative mm-hmm. and very technical mm-hmm. and I was very good at it and so from like sixth grade on I was going to be an architect and I knew it and I did I, I was such a nerd I did architect summer camp oh, I wow. did like okay. I was going to be an architect 
went to college to be an architect and literally my freshman year was in a Bible study and it, the, like literally it's just, they, these, I hate them. These fill in the blank Bible studies where you're supposed to write in the right answer. And I'm just like, ah, I'm creative. Don't give me a fill in the blank. But I was doing this fill in the blank. God always uses, you know, what you don't expect using, doing this fill in the blank Bible study. And it says, if you could do one thing for God, what would you do? And I said, make movies like dead man walking. <laughs> Cause I had just Ooh. seen that. It was, that Ooh, was, okay. I was in, that dates when I was in college. But so I, I, I was like, that's what I would do. And now I know that what I was really saying is make movies that would make people ask good questions. Like that's what dead man walking did for me. So I went on to the next question in the, in the questionnaire and it said, have you ever thought that that's possible if God's behind it? And I thought, no, mm-hmm. like it's not possible. I can't make films. I've never touched a camera. I'm in college. Like I can't, I'm an architect. Like I mm-hmm. can't do film, but it was like, sounds a little like Moses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just reading that this yeah. week. Uh, but yeah, it, it was, it was a total like, what? No, it's not possible. And, it, but I just kept coming back to that. Like, no, if, if God really wanted you to do that, I'm not saying he does, but if he really did want you, want me to do that, I guess it would be possible. And literally I, I, it was that morning. It was a Wednesday. I called my mom from, from Indiana. She, I grew up in New England. I was calling mom back in, back in Massachusetts. I'm like, mom, what would you think if I changed my major? And she's like, silence. on the mm-hmm. other. She's mm-hmm. like, you wanted to be an architect since you were in sixth grade and you're at this elite architecture school and you know, like what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I said, I, I, I was doing spiral study. I told her the story and my dad was quicker to come around than my mom, I think, but they both were like, um, you know, do it. If God's calling you to do it, you know, do it. Mm-hmm. But, um, my dad's a pastor and so he went around telling everybody when I changed my major that I was going into Christian film, you know, going to make Christian films. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, dad, I'm going to be a Christian making films. <laughs> There's a difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Good distinction. And, uh, and that's still where I'm at today. I mean, it's funny, but it's funny slash sad, but I still have to say that to people. Like back then there wasn't even much of a Christian film industry at all. Mm-hmm. Now there is. But there's such a dichotomy that between what's considered Christian films and what's considered secular films, and I want to be in the middle mm-hmm. somewhere where Dead Man Walking lives, where the movie Silence or A Hidden Life or these movies that that are secular, they're for a secular audience, but they're infused with God and truth mm-hmm. and beauty. And so... So, so anyway. are you saying you just, you're trying to, you feel led that the movies that you make or the films that you make are reaching a crossover type audience, I for lack so. of a better word? I think so. It's, yeah, crossing over is, is one of, actually in one of these, these I journal a lot about this because I, I'm trying to get a grasp on what exactly it is that, that I feel called to, but it's, it, you know, it's what Jesus did. It's, he told parables that everybody loved. And that everybody felt challenged by and everybody understood. Um, but I think too often films that are under a Christian label use Christian words and use things that people don't necessarily understand outside of the faith. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's, 
I think there's a, the, a very, there's definitely a place for, for movies. I met Alex Kendrick and I loved Overcomer. And I think there's a, there's a place for those movies. But he, and when I met him, it was at a conference and his, in his speech, he was talking about, he does sermon movies. His movies are sermons. He's a preacher. And he, he just decided to make movies as his sermons. Like, that's what he does. That's great. We need those. I am a preacher's son, but I, I'm not called to be a preacher to the church. Um, I'm called to preach outward. And so I feel like, but it, and I'm not even called to preach sermons. It's it's like, I'm, I'm called to make people ask good questions right. so that the Spirit can lead them in ways that, a film can't even, you know, like my film just plants seeds or, right, you know. right. so that's kind of where I felt being called literally, what was that? 20 years ago when I changed my major, which then involved changing schools and, um, went to film school and, uh, so you learned how to run a camera, huh? <laughs> yeah. So that, well, and actually I, I decided when I decided to change my major, I still had some general credits to do and stuff at the school I was at. And so I literally went to our communications department, rented a camera from them and just made a movie, like a little short movie with my friends before I went to film school, um, just to try it because I I was like, I don't want to show up at film school (laughs) without ever touching a camera. And I literally learned everything that they taught the first year of film school. I learned doing that short film, um, just by trial and error. Did you and, enjoy that part of just like teaching yourself? Oh yeah, it was yeah. super fun. Um, the movie was awful, um, but you know that I made. <laughs> but it was it was super fun to do, and uh, uh, but yeah, then I went to film school. You know, you graduate from film school and you either move to LA or you don't. That's your choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't, and it was mostly. And I had some opportunities I could have followed. You know, I worked on things that with people. I had some some contacts in LA and some, some things I could have followed, but I, I felt like, no, I need to pay off some debts. You know, I had, I worked in movie theaters, managed the theater, got popcorn grease all over me Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, did that for a few years. And, um, and then everything went digital Mm. and my education was, you know, at least the technical side of my education was pretty worthless because I had learned to do everything analog and now the world was digital. And so I literally kind of thought, okay, maybe film, maybe it's, maybe it's storytelling. Maybe it, and so then I went off and did, I applied to creative writing MFAs, rejected across the board. Mm-hmm. I'd always been told I was a great writer, mm-hmm. but rejected across the board. It was like my twenties I talk about as the, as the, the humbling decade. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a kind <laughs> of a, a decade of self-discovery too. Yeah. And, and so to I was like, are, yeah. maybe this film thing isn't it. Maybe God just wanted me to tell stories. And so I, I pursued creative writing for a bit and that didn't pan out. And then I was like, all right. And then got married and we um, moved to North Carolina where there was a film community in North Carolina and literally our car broke down in front of a church on a Sunday morning. We were looking for a different church, but our car broke down in front of this church. We walked in, and as soon as I introduced myself to somebody, they said, you need to meet Brad. And Brad was a filmmaker, and that was the next few years of my life Hmm. of work. Um, And he literally... Sounds like God noticed you. (laughs) Yeah, when you said God noticed, like that's... I mean, literally, our car broke down. and Brad and I worked together. Um, he's still down there in North Carolina doing amazing stuff. 
Um, and but he he's an amazing cinematographer and an editor and a producer. And he had an extra computer and he said, if you want to teach yourself how to edit on this digital, you know, in this new digital way, feel free. So I shot a friend's wedding and edited it on his second computer and taught myself how to edit. And then he started, Hey, do you want to edit this project for me? Or do you want to do, he started sending work my way and, uh, yeah. And he ended up being my main client cause mm -hmm. that, I was run, technically running my own business then, which I didn't even know, but, uh, and then the rest is history, as they say. So you did weddings, what other I, kinds of projects? Did um, you, did his you... main, his main bread and butter at that time was camp, summer camp videos. Okay. Um, okay. promotional videos for summer camps actually up in New England, these big, like where kids go, they're like, I call them private schools with, um, jet skis or private schools with, um, water skiing, you know, it was like really fancy camps that could afford a really good video. Mm -hmm. And so we would, uh, he would go shoot them and send the footage back to me in North Carolina. And then I would start editing a rough cut and I would get a rough cut edited and then he would do the final edit. And, uh, we would do about three camps a summer. And, uh, and so you, would you consider yourself self-taught then on the digital aspect? Digitally? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. Because in it, I mean, we didn't, I don't even know if I touched a computer for editing in college. I think they had one that you could use, but it was always like, basically people just used it to do their end credits because mm -hmm. it was much easier on the computer, but that you couldn't get enough time on the computer, the one computer that we all shared in this whole school. But that was, you know, that was 1999. Right. So. so how did you end up being here in Michigan? And, and, <laughs> and how, so I take it that you continued to do these kinds of projects. Yeah. Right? And then, um, my wife, uh, decided to go to grad school and applied to different schools. Um, and, uh, she was, she had her master's, but she was going for her PhD and got into MSU. Okay. And after living in New Mexico and North Carolina, um, she, she especially, but both of us were not that excited to come to Michigan. <laughs> um, and she grew up in Chicago. I grew up in New England. So we we're very familiar with, uh, the cold weather and snow and, um, but, it wasn't our first choice and we were like, well, we've just got to do three years, get your coursework done and then we'll move wherever and you can do your dissertation and from, from wherever and, and we can settle, you know, right. and raise a family and whatever somewhere else, you know, and, uh, 10 years later, here we are and we've are. built a house <laughs> and we love it. Uh, literally a couple of weeks after we moved here, actually, we were like, wow, we feel more comfortable here than we have anywhere. Like it mm. was, it was just, it felt like home. We found a church. And it just, it just. So then worked. you had to build, you had to build your business here then, right? Yeah. And so I started by still doing, still working for Brad in North Carolina. He would, he would FedEx me a hard drive of footage. I would edit it and FedEx it back. Oh, okay. And, still uh, so for a while that worked. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we've, I've moved on to clients here to do promotional videos for Lansing Christian School and a few um, companies in town. And, and it's called? The Flipbook Moving Pictures. Flipbook Moving Pictures is your your company that does these kinds of projects. Yeah, yeah. But that's not all. That's not all you do, is it? No. Yeah. Um, that's that's usually what pays the bills. But um, but yeah, my my passion is still, you know, doing telling stories and doing um, um, fiction, and I'm a sucker for true stories too. So um, based mm -hmm. on truth, uh, and then sometimes end up in in. The documentary realm too mm -hmm. but uh but i love fiction i love um 
telling stories that that make people ask questions. Make people ask questions. Is there a difference? And maybe this is maybe this is a really naive question on my part. But is there a difference between movies and films? (laughs) Is that a (laughs) a long conversation? (laughs) Um, I mean, no. Yes and no. Um, I would say that the the difference would be uh, movies. I would say were more for entertainment, and film would be more for art. Um, I I think the best of both do both. Uh, You know, I think the best movies have some have, have a lot of art in them and I think you know the best films have a lot of entertainment in them but that's how I would kind of differentiate it basically film is what people like me that you know wear the funky glasses and and want to talk about film okay yeah. cinema yeah yeah um, but yeah I mean it's it's they're pretty much the same thing but um and what's funny now is hardly anything is shot on film um and so really they're all just videos. Like, we all just mm-hmm. make videos, but nobody calls them videos. They right. call them okay. films. Yes, okay, there you go. <laughs> so tell me about some of your projects that you've had in your past. And, of course, we've got your most recent project that we'll talk about. But just tell me some yeah. some of these stories that God has led you to tell. Well, the, the, the biggest one, as far as God noticing me, was just out of... I mean, it's it, it's beyond... Uh, I still can't believe that, that this kind of, this happened, but um, but uh, my film I did a documentary back in two thousand nine called When Cotton Blossoms, and it was a story that I heard about probably about ten years before that when I was just graduating film school. A friend of my um, my dad's, who was a, a fellow pastor, and his wife visited this school in Mississippi that was um, founded in nineteen oh nine by an African-American gentleman from the North that had moved to the South to help out his brothers and sisters who were struggling because slavery had quote-unquote ended, but it had just been renamed sharecropping. Um, and so pretty much they were, uh, they were working the same fields that they had worked in slavery. They were hmm. um, not allowed to be educated. There was, they were basically still enslaved. And it was a, he's, he calls it a, a, I think he called it a slavery of ignorance. Like they weren't allowed to educate themselves. And so they weren't allowed to have books. They weren't. And so he went to the South with nothing. And the people down South didn't trust him, um, black and white. Um, the whites didn't trust him because he was black. And the blacks didn't trust him because he was from the North and he talked funny. Mm-hmm. And so nobody trusted him. And, but he really felt God's call in his life to start this school. And so... You'll have to watch the documentary, but um, okay. but I won't tell you the whole story. But it what was amazing about it is I'm a corn-fed white boy from you know grew up in Maine and Massachusetts, and you know a very not a very diverse community, and I f- found myself after you know researching this and then contacting the school and then three years later them calling, you know, I called them out of the blue and was like, hey, has anything happened with this idea we've talked about? And they were like, actually, we just got funding and we don't know how to make a film. And I ended up spending, a, it was about a year of my life, um, right as our first child was being born and we were, my wife was starting grad school, it was crazy, but I went down to Mississippi, filmed this documentary about this school, and I'm the last person in the world that should have made that documentary. Like this was not my story. This was, you know, this was, it was the South 
it was an African-American story, and I somehow ended up doing this film and uh what drew you in what drew i mean obviously the project but what what did the man lawrence jones i really felt like he he's who i wanted to be like i wanted to be somebody who hears a call and just does it like it doesn't make any sense like and and he walked into the same situation i did like he walked in the south nobody trusted him like i walked into meetings in mississippi and they were like you're doing what you're gonna tell our story Mm. You know, and I'm like, I know, <laughs> I know, I don't, I, I don't know why I'm here. Um, but it was like, God literally directed that film and just, I sat back and watched. It was amazing. Like we literally didn't have an actor a week before we shot. I didn't know a single producing person down there. And I managed to, you know, find these people coming out of the work where woodworks, fellow Christians. Mm, I who wonder were how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> it was I literally, I mean, and I told the crew, I'm like, I'm not directing this. <laughs> I am not. Because <laughs> I, if I was directing this, we wouldn't have this actor over here. We wouldn't have this whole crew here. Like, I just literally am doing what Dr. Jones did in the story, and I'm just following a call that doesn't make any sense. And God keeps answering, God keeps, like, putting the next... It's like the, when, uh, I always think of Wallace and Gromit when he's, have you seen the Wallace and Gromit movies? I haven't. Oh, he's always, <laughs> the dog is riding a train and he's putting the track down in front of himself. Okay. Like, so that he can keep going. That's how I felt making the movie. It was like God was placing the tracks as I'm about to run off the end of the track. You know, he would just wow. place the next one and place Talk the next one. Talk about God noticing you, huh? Yeah. And so it, that experience, like, that changed as far as, my career that that became the new bar like I want all my projects to be that you know like I want all my projects to be projects that don't make any sense yeah yeah yeah. and that God is God is leading and I don't know where it's going um so that's kind of uh and and, and here's a question here's a deep question do we have to know where it's going I think if we did know we wouldn't go or we would mess it up That's right. because we'd, yeah. we'd say oh you're going here so we must do a b and c because that equals d mm-hmm. but god's math is always different than ours and so like he's like no 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 that's the end but that's not the way we're going to get there scott that just it just reminds me of how sometimes creative people will you know they they, they want to go ahead of the game right or they feel it's too scared to step out it's, it seems like it's one or the other. Mm-hmm. And I, what you're describing to me is that sense of letting someone else lead. Mm-hmm. That's kind of hard. Sometimes hard to do that when you're creative, would you it, say? I think so. It's, it's hard, but I, almost, I, I would almost push back on that and say, I don't know if you are really being creative if you're coming from yourself. Mm-hmm. Because Good point. Like we're, 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 we're his creation we're his we're, we're made in his image and so if we're creating we're truly creating and not not just from ourselves we're, we're tapping into the creator and so if if we're truly doing meaningful art i think whether i think christians or not i think non-christians i think tim robbins who made dead man walking 
was tapping into the creator, whether he acknowledges his creator or right, not. Right. He was tapping into the creator to make Dead Man Walking. If we just tap into ourselves, we're just telling our story. And I think mm-hmm. that, I mean, I guess that could be art, but I think the true, the deeper, meaningful art that we can create is is going to not come from within. It, and, and that's a big, you know, in our culture right now, it's all about, you know, what's inside you, you know, yes. it's expressing yourself. Art is right, expressing right. you. Right. No, right. it's not. Right. Art is expressing, expressing him. It's overflow of the heart of what God's put in. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so, yeah. so that's, you know, and I can, I can get fired up and talk yeah, about that. I know, I know, I know, I know. I did a podcast with Justin Reed and we talked about creativity. So for yeah, listeners out podcast, there, yeah. for listeners out there, you know, that's a, that was a great conversation about creativity. But you know, when you talk about these films, Let's talk a little bit about the different hats you wear, the different roles you wear, because you're saying you're producing, but you're also saying you're directing. And, and then what about getting the actors and the, and getting the setting and all, all those different parts? How does that all come together? <laughs> um, <laughs> One track at a time, right? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's hard. I've, what I've, I always say that every project um, I've done the biggest thing I've learned is what not to do next time, not like what not to do myself next time, what to um, delegate next time. Because what I'm learning the older I get is that there's somebody that's God is specifically designed to be good at certain tasks and that I am not good at. And so the more I try to do on a film, I think the less good the film is because I should have let somebody else do that that's better than me you know gotcha. um and so like you know on cotton on one cotton blossoms i did a lot i did the you know the writing the directing the editing the the, the final sound editing the you know i i did the one thing i hired out was the local um, production crew um that i hired in mississippi and they gathered a lot of the sets and props and actors and stuff but what I learned in that is I'm sitting at a film festival afterwards and it's playing my movie at the film festival and halfway through the sound was wrong. And it's because I mixed the sound wrong Mm -hmm. for a theater. It worked fine on headphones. It worked fine on my computer. It worked fine on most TVs. But for this theater, it, it didn't work because they didn't have a center channel or there was some, there was some weirdness in their sound system. And all the other movies sounded fine. Mine didn't. Okay. It's because I did the sound, and I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. And so it's like oh, I need to hire somebody yeah, for I that. Feel that you know, on the <laughs> podcast. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> you need to hire somebody. Yeah. Um, no, it's it, and that's that's the thing with with film. It's such a collaborative art, and that's what I think you're getting at with how do you, you know, get your hands around this big. Because it's you know, a big it's a big project. Yeah, it is. I think sometimes I mean. It takes years and to, to develop an idea and the project and the people. I mean, I, yeah. I would think, especially even like, what would you say? How What's the length of some of the films that you've done? Um, when Cotton Blossoms was 35 minutes long, took about a year to make. Um, the 490 that we'll talk about in a bit, that was um, 13 minutes long and um, took about four months to make 20 people on the crew and that's pretty low budget you know that's a pretty small kind of shoestring crew 
but uh, but yeah, so so it, it fluctuates. You know, the big budget so, films have you know when you talk about people, budget, how do, how do you fund a project like this, Scott? How does that work? Oh, when you figure it out, let me know. Okay. Um, <laughs> every time it's different. You know, um, when Cotton Blossoms was a grant that the school got um, for their hundred year anniversary, so we could mm-hmm. celebrate their founder. Um, so grants sometimes, um, it, with 490, it was a person in the church, um, who just had a passion for telling stories and he's like, why can't we do a modern parable? And I was like, we can, we just need money. And he's like, well, I can come up with money. Let's do it. Wow. And so it was one person literally who had a passion for the idea and said, let's do it. And other times it's, crowdfunding and uh which I've never done I'm I know at some point I'm gonna have to do it it sounds Mm -hmm. like a beast Mm -hmm. but it's a whole production in itself just pulling a crowdfunding project together and you you know everybody donates 20 bucks and they each get a little reward like a poster that's signed by the director or whatever but that's a that's a whole you know nightmare of, of organization but you can do it that way and raise your money that way and or you another a film I just edited was a distributor paid, you know, basically paid for it up front. I don't know how it all works because I'm not on that side of the film, but basically they had a certain budget, and as long as they stay within that budget, the distributor has agreed to buy the film when it's done and distribute it. So there's all sorts of different ways that it happens, but yeah, you never know when you're going into it. You can have, again, you can have your plans, but you never, you never know if or how it's going to happen. So that's another element of surprise and trust in God and what's going oh, yeah. to happen, what's going to happen. Honestly, you don't know gonna... that the film is going to actually be seen by anyone until you're literally in the theater and it gets dark and you're like, okay, we actually did this. Like mm-hmm. at any point it can fall apart. And some films do. You hear about even Hollywood films falling apart even after they've been shot and they've, you know, sometimes even edited and then they sit on the shelf because no distributor wants to spend the money to advertise the film mm, gotcha. and so it's sitting there done well and i think that's true for a lot of the different arts like as a songwriter I, mm-hmm. i've written probably 150 songs but i think i have like six of them produced mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah then there's also you know people who write i mean mm-hmm. i can't tell you how many stories and how many mm-hmm. articles and things i've written that are sitting on my computer right now oh, me too you yeah, know i've got my and list of and, but stories I hope I get you know, to. One yeah. of the things I came to peace with about that, I don't know if you feel this way, but is that sometimes that's an equipping. Like, in other words, I always kind of look at it when you talk about that idea of the track and God preparing the next thing just even as you walk, is that sometimes we're doing something and we think it might not come to fruition and nothing happens with it, but it's actually might be equipping us for whatever mm-hmm. is coming next. And we don't even know it. I can look back now on some of those things and realize that that's yeah. God's done that. I, I've kind of learned myself, you know, to just kind of let go of yeah. the process and let go of the results. Yeah. And if, is it still worth doing even though no one sees it? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's hard because you're falls not. In the forest. <laughs> yeah, because you're doing it because you really do want other people to see it, don't yeah. you? I yeah. mean, I mean, let's talk about this new um, film that's just your the, your most recent film. I, mm-hmm. I know you're always doing projects, but yeah. the most recent film is called Four Ninety. So tell me a little bit about how this came to be and and everything, because I, I want our listeners to 
to understand the background behind it, but also we're going to be showing the film at an event that I host called uh, The Notice God Stories Live. And that event will be on Friday, February 21st at 7 o'clock p.m. in Trinity Church. And so we're going to show Scott's film. So for listeners out there, I hope you come by. But tell us a little bit how this all came to be. Yeah, so um, again, it was, an, it was an investor, I guess you'd call him. And, but he, he basically, we, we got to talking about, he had a bunch of ideas. And um, not specific ideas necessarily, but just like, you know, well, he had some specific ideas too. And that's what this came from. But he, he basically just said, you know, why can't we make some you know, parable, like Jesus told parables, why aren't we telling parables, you know, and so let's, let's do that, and, and, uh, and I was like, okay, what are you thinking, and we, we met over coffee a few times, and one of the ideas he said was this whole idea, like, what if we actually did what Jesus said to do, like, everything he said to do, what if, you know, and he listed out a bunch of things that Jesus said, and one of those was forgiving people 70 times, seven times, you know, like, like he told Peter, and so, so I thought, oh, that would be really interesting to have a story where somebody forgives somebody 490 times. So it started out, it was like an idea called 490 Days in Death Row on Death Row or something. And it was it was very dramatic about, you know, two guys who had killed each other's wives. You know, it was like this weird thing. They didn't purposely do it, but they, they happened to, they both killed someone and it happened to be the other's wife. And it was really... It, dark. <laughs> it was dark, but it was also just, it was forced. It was like, it was very dramatic and forced. And, and, and I was trying to like make it work with this, like, well, they're forgiving each other. And it was very, it, it just didn't work. And so we went back to, and I was like, well, the parable Jesus told right after he told Peter that was the parable of the unmerciful servant. And they're tied together very directly. And so why don't we just see if we can adapt that parable almost as is in the modern day. And so that's what, that's where the idea started. And, you know, instead of the guy owing money to the master or whatever, um, because we don't put people in prison now for, you know, being in debt. (laughs) So we did somebody that has, you know, gone, that's gone to prison for unintentional, but manslaughter, you know, I forget what they call that, but but anyway, so so that's where it started, and then, you know, he gets forgiven, or pardoned, just like the unmerciful servant does. But then somebody does something to him, and he's not willing to forgive. And so it's this idea that, like, wait, you've been forgiven this much, <laughs> you know, viewers can't see my hands, but mm-hmm. and you know, you're not willing to forgive this little amount. Um, and so that's kind of the germ of the idea, and it just kind of went from there. And, uh, and whenever I got stuck, I just went back to the parable and was like, what did Jesus say? You know, what did he, how did he finish the story? And although I will say the ending is slightly different because the ending of the, of the parable is, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth and the guy gets, you know, thrown in, thrown in the dungeon forever. And, uh, but we, we decided to tweak the ending a little bit to, to show people a way, a way forward that what if the guy actually did learn from his (laughs) mistakes? Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, that gives people hope too. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing about the film too, is that I, in my research, I figured out, I wanted to do a story about how hard forgiveness is, you know, like, oh, it's so hard to forgive. And what I realized, and there's tons of great stories out there, by the way, of like moms who have forgiven the guy who killed their son 
and now adopted the guy who killed their son. And right. so this, the killer is now replacing their son. And I mean, it's like, yeah, <laughs> like, like I can't top that, right, you know, like right, these right. stories are out there when I was researching and I'm like, what am I like, what am I trying to do? Like those stories about how hard it is to forgive are out there. But that parable is about how easy it should be for us to forgive because we've been forgiven so much. Right, because when all said and done, it's Jesus who forgives, right? Mm-hmm. I don't really, I, I kind of feel like I don't have the capacity to forgive. I mean, it's because Jesus forgave me that mm-hmm. I'm more able. Yeah, to it forgive. should be easy. Yeah. Like, we're forgiven for so much. It should be easy for us to forgive. And so that's what, that's the, that was the, 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 like, the hook that led me into, like, okay, that's why this story has to exist why it's different than the other stories out there. and Because I started to think, like, we don't need to make this movie. There's better stories that actually have happened in real life of, mm-hmm. you know, this mom forgiving. And so, but then it was like, okay, this is this is why Jesus told the story. He told it not to say how hard it was to forgive, but how easy it should be. And so that's where we we kind of went went for um, right. with, with the narrative. Well, I have, I've had a chance to see it, and it's, it is... It was impactful for me. I mean, I honestly, I, I felt as though after... I, I'm not somebody who just watches short film like that. I just... It's not something I, you know, normally do. So to sit down and really watch that, it just... It did make me think. It did make me think about different things. Now, I didn't know about the 490 part of it. So yeah. that even makes it more cool to me. And yeah. the parable part. And that makes it real cool. And sometimes, you know, if we know this backstory of what's happening, does that... Add or take away from the film? I've I've gone back and forth on that. Like, I don't honestly like to tell people that it's a parable before they see it because I want them to just enjoy a story and get kind of surprised by the fact that, oh, there's there's some deeper stuff here. But there's I, I've run into multiple people at film festivals or in the Q and A after the film at a festival where people will say, you know, where did that title come from? I was like, what's four ninety? You know, like it comes up in the film, but very briefly and if you miss it you know and i didn't and, make that connection yeah you just told me yeah so, yep. yeah so viewers when you go see it you know look for the 490 mention in, in the film but um but it, he doesn't come out and say like i forgave you 490 times but there is a reference to to that whole idea in the film but i'll tell people at the festival well it's based on the parable of the unmerciful servant from the bible and these are usually secular festivals and you know, you see people kind of like, wait a minute, did I just get tricked into watching a Christian film? You know? <laughs> Good <laughs> um, job, Scott. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but like, but people are like, oh, okay, 70 times seven. Okay, 490. I like that, you know, mm-hmm. and people, people like it. And so I, I'm a fan of movies you have to watch more than once to, mm-hmm. you know, I love Christopher Nolan movies where it's like, you know, you're like, wait a minute, I need to rewind it and watch it again. Um, but you know, some people, it's not everybody's cup of tea. Some people just want to have everything spelled out for them. And, you know, at the end you feel good and you know why. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, it's, it's one of those where if I told people up front, you're about to watch the parable of the unmerciful servant and, you know, here's the message or whatever, you know, I feel like that takes away from the experience, but, yeah, I get that. but I think it, it's just, you know, it's different. It's like, you know, watching Star Wars, if you already know Vader's Luke's father or not, you know, it, it just changes the experience when you yeah, watch so, it. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about how this, who you got involved in the collaboration to do this film. One of the people you got involved was Anne Miranda. Anne Miranda yeah. is, is an actress. 
um, professional actress, and she helped cast the, the yeah. individuals for that. So tell me a little about that and some of the other people that were involved. Yeah, so I, because of my story and coming from New Mexico and then North Carolina and then here, I, I wasn't that plugged into the film community before doing 490 here in Michigan. And so the investor said, hey, let's do this. I said, okay. And then I was like, okay, how am I, how am I going to do this? Because I can't do this by myself. And so I started calling anybody I knew who either knew people in the film industry or had any connection whatsoever. And Anne was one of the first people I called. I, I can't remember how I actually originally met her. I think it was through Lansing Christian School. But then um, my parents go to Trinity and they know Anne. And so we've kept up. We've Whenever we run into each other, we end up in a long conversation, conversation. <laughs> um, about art and, yeah. and everything. So I was like, I bet Anne knows some people. And I knew she had tried to do some drama stuff at Trinity way back when. And and so so I just called her and I'm like, okay, do you know anybody who would be like a good you know, kind of assistant director type, and do you know any actors who would do this? And she started, you know, oh, I should call this actor, and I should call this actor. And I was like, do you want to be my casting director? <laughs> and uh, and there's there's literally, I, I guess there, there could have been some roles in the film that she could have done, but she was so busy casting. I was like, can you just, you know, can you just do the casting, and, and you know, we'll, we'll figure out if you're involved in other ways along the way. And she ended up helping some with props and helping with other things too. But, um, but yeah, it was just this kind of organic thing where one person led me to another person and then I would contact that person and they would say no, but why don't you talk to this person? And I assembled this crew of, of Michigan filmmakers that knew what they were doing. And some of them that were doing it for the first time and didn't know what they were doing, but they were like, I'm willing and I'll learn. And so it was, and where did you shoot it? Uh, we shot at Jackson Prison. How did you get clearance to do that? A lot of paperwork. <laughs> you call the, you know, you call them, you tell them what you're doing, you send them the script. They want to see, you know, they they um, all state property is actually free to shoot on. Um, so you hmm. can, as long as you get the permissions and do all the paperwork, it's actually free to shoot at any state park or state land or whatever. Some of them, like prisons and the Capitol building, would take more permissions to get, you know, more paperwork. But, uh, so we, we just went through all that and they were great to work with. Robert Redford had just shot there for his old man in the gun uh, that came out a couple years ago. He had just shot there for something. So they were very used to crews much bigger than us. So Mm -hmm. we, we didn't cause much of a scene for them. (laughs) Although there are some funny stories, but (laughs) that's for another time. Another time. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we, we shot down there and, and most of it was in Jackson a little bit. Like some of the train track stuff was here in, in um, the Lansing area up by Hazlitt. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah. So. so, so I mean, for a short 13-minute film, how many hours would you say you, you, well, we you shot put for, into this? We shot for three and a half days, but that was after a month and a half of writing and rewriting and a month of, at least a month of pre-production to get it all ready to shoot. Um, finding all the props and and everything and getting all the locations settled. And then, yeah, we shot for three and a half days, long days. And then we, uh, and then I edited, you know, I was doing other projects too, so it's hard to tell, but I edited for another, you know, month or two after that. 
I can't remember. But yeah, it's it, a lot to it. It's yeah. a heavily edited film, so it, the editing was was pretty. Um, and there's some not flashy special effects, but just there's things that we had to create a newscast. So we, there's graphics involved, and you know, and he's watching it on the TV, which has to be done digitally later and all that right, stuff. So right. it was it was a big. Well, I I certainly believe in the power story. I believe that we all have a story. I believe that God has, and that's why I have this podcast. Even is because I want to hear people's stories, and I, so I'm 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 right with you. I'm a storyteller too because, you know, God has done. You know, God even tells us to go and tell. Mm-hmm. He tells us to go and tell our story. Tell. Mm-hmm. I think about the demon possessed man who, after Jesus had healed him. He just wanted to hang out with Jesus, you know. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to go. He he said, "No, you go home and you tell." Mm-hmm. And we we are commanded to tell stories. We are mm-hmm. commanded to tell a story. Obviously, the big story, which is the gospel mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We're commanded to go out there and tell. And I think it's encouraging to hear different people do it in different ways, like through film. I mean, this is it's a powerful, powerful medium. And I'm just encouraged. I get goosebumps even right now thinking about the different ways God gives us to be creative and, and to tell those his story. Yeah. And so for those of you listening, I hope you're going to come watch the film. It's going to be uh, shown at uh, the event that I host at, Tr- at Trinity Church called The Notice God Stories Live, where we tell stories that evening. And Scott will be telling this story through film, but also just a little background and stuff like that. So I hope you'll come out and see that. And I want to thank you, Scott, for being here with us. Um, and I hope you'll come back sometime with your next yeah. film and talk about your next film. Um, and I just want to just encourage you in what you're doing for Jesus and for keeping the stories alive. we got to keep telling. Thanks. Yeah, it's, yeah, it started in a garden. It ends in a garden in Revelation. And God's, God's told this story. And now we're part of retelling it, part of continuing it. And... Uh, so yeah, I and that's what Jesus did. He told stories. So I, I feel like we're in good company. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks again, Scott, for being with yeah. us. The award-winning film, 490, which Scott and I talked about on this episode, will be one of the featured stories at the Notice God Stories Live event, a live storytelling event held at Trinity Church in Lansing, Michigan. Come see the film and hear other stories of redemption, mercy, and love. The event begins at 7 o'clock p.m. on Friday, February 21st, 2020. For more information, please Google God Stories Live, Susan K. Hoekstra. Hope to see you there. Next time on The Notice. Is there something going on in your life you can't talk about but wish you could? Do you find yourself having a need to vent? What is the best way to process everything you're experiencing? Join us for the next episode of The Notice, where we explore the differences between venting and lamenting, and how God takes notice of us during those challenging times. In the meantime, take notice. Oh